Welcome to episode 43 of Super Entertainment Presents, the television crossover universe on the Grand Gagnol Network, coming to you live from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. The TVCU crew are a team of crossovers who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots through official crossovers and Easter eggs in order to demonstrate a shared fictional reality we call the television crossover universe. The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little, but someday the piercing together of disassociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality, and of our frightful position therein that we should go mad from the revelation of the non-elucidian Micah S. Harristhoff, award-winning author and film historian, the squamos Chris Nigrothulu, author and founder of Wild Hunt Press, and the indescribable James Boyajastha, CEO of Dubois 18th Wall Productions, most terrifying elder gods of all. When the mad Arab turns his pages, he finds horrifying, unreadable notes, shameless plugs. Chris, what do you have to plug? Well, my sink is plugged again, if that helps. And uh, secondly, I like to proudly boast that I finally finished my Moonstalker novel completely. S- roughly 76,000 words. And I hope to publish that simultaneously with my Centurion novel, which will be part of a shared superhero universe that I'm, ho- I'm trying to create. Okay. And by the way, James, do you happen to know and gave a number for any good plumbers or anything? Just, you know, just... Alright. Sorry. My sink is plugged! Well, then go! Clean it! What are you waiting for? Clean it? I'd have to plunge it. Do whatever you have to do. I believe in you. I'd have to snake it, and I don't believe I'm good at doing it. I need a plumber, so, you know, I'm... If you well, are help... you good at doing the worm? That could mean so many different things. I'm not going to answer. I'm just going to hold back my um, bar- my gag reflex and move on to Micah. It's a dance. Micah, what do you have to plug? Uh, my uh, 2016 uh, Pope Arc Award winning Ravenwood, the Stepson of Mystery, Return of the Dugpa, is now available as an audiobook. And um, it's, uh, you can get it on Amazon. And I'm a book that I'm very, very proud of, and I'm glad to have it in this audio version. I'd like to encourage everybody to give it a listen. Uh, even um, you know, if there's some Lovecraft fans listening uh, because of the nature of this podcast, it does have my own take on Hyperborea, uh, which you know, you know that Clark Ashton Smith was part of the Lovecraft circle. And I uh, actually had a cameo by one of his entities, but I had to cut it uh, in the interest of the story as a whole. Uh, and also they'll find a little, uh, although it's a very different kind of villain, uh, his situation is a bit uh, similar to that of Cthulhu himself. So, uh, yeah, audio version of Ravenwood, Return of the Dugpa. It's great to hear that it's now an audio yeah. Mild applause. Sorry. 
Well, I'd like to start with a shameless plug that was actually emailed to us a couple days ago. Zombie Joe Underground Theater has asked us if we would give a word about their new haunted theater attraction, where apparently they have combined seeing a play and going through a haunted house, and this will be running all through October in California, North Hollywood. Cool idea. Yeah. Um, They have not said what this thing is, but they've also apparently won awards for it already, so it sounds really neat. I'm not entirely sure how they found out about us or why they think we'd be the perfect choice to promote it, but (laughs) hey, it's a cool idea, and if any of you guys are out near Hollywood... Seems like a good choice for your Halloween festivities. And then specifically for me, 18th Wall Productions has started up a newsletter. It goes out three times a week with writing advice, special deals, and all of the fun, wonderful things you didn't know you're missing in your life. We can promise you nirvana and inner peace. All you need to do is go to 18thwall.com, click to the appropriate tab, and sign up. And really, what more can you want than that? Now, we'll be right back after this break with Miskatonic Musings. Well, it's my pleasure to be here tonight with Sean and Charles from the podcast Miskatonic Musings, which, as they say on their site, Miskatonic... Yes, let's try this in English. (laughs) Miskatonic Musings is a horror podcast for terrible people. So, consider this the crossover episode between terrible people and terrible puns. Hey, Welcome right. to the show, guys. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having speaking, us on. Speaking of terrible people, I, I forgot to ask, can I curse? Is this a PG podcast? Yeah, but you have to keep it, like, R-rated. You can only say golly, gosh. But if you say dang, we're cutting this whole thread. Oh, shoot. That is a curse. Oh. You're pushing it. You're pushing it. Oh, oh darn boy. it. Just no cursing of the dark spellcasting side. No, we are an explicit show, so you can okay. curse. Because, as mentioned, we're terrible fucking people. So... We're terrible shitbags, so... <laughs> so, so let's I, start I, I... really fancy question, because this is the intellectual show about trivial things. H.P. Lovecraft and the weird tale survived long after his death, and the deaths of all his forerunners and co-creators... How would you define the weird tale, and why do you think it survived so long? And this is open to everyone. Oh boy, that's a tough question to start with. Um, basically, for for me, weird fiction is sort of a subgenre of horror and fantasy. You know, um, just just dealing less with you know the the Friday the Thirteenth style hack and slash. This is this guy's the murderer. We have to stop the murderer. And more with the idea of what is this thing? Why is this happening? Um, it, does our existence matter? And that my definition may be kind of branching into what cosmic horror is, you know. But to me, yeah, they're the they're pretty intertwined. They're, yeah, it's it's a thin line. They're intertwined. Um, as as to why it's survived. Um, I think that actually kind of has to do a little bit with the subject matter of your podcast is the the crossover. Lovecraft was maybe not the originator, but one of the first to uh, reference other people's works very explicitly in his own. He made reference to, you know, 
the, the works of, you know, like Arthur Machen, for example, people that whose writing he admired from the past, as well as the works of his friends who would kind of reciprocate that. They'd put, you know, references to his stuff in there. Uh, Robert Block famously um, put Lovecraft in a story and killed him. Lovecraft responded by putting Block in a story and killing him. And, you know, even though Lovecraft died, his friends didn't. They kept writing. They kept making references to him. And really the reason why his work in particular survived is uh, August uh, Derleth, who was a uh, correspondent of his back during his time, kind of with Arkham House, his publishing imprint, got the rights to Lovecraft's shit and kept it in print. So it was available to a whole new generation of uh, weirdos and fiction aficionados. Well, I, I think the reason the weird tale has survived so long is because the type of primordial fears it taps into continues to exist. Like, with Lovecraft stories, instead of, you know, terrifying us with the questions, what might be out there in the woods, he terrifies us with questions like, who really runs the universe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. I guess on my end, I think that weird fiction... It's a little bit different from horror fiction in that weird fiction is dealing with um, more philosophical fears of humanity's place in the cosmos, um, the sense of being small in a grand universe, um, the order of things. It's, I think, getting at a sense of awe with um, nature and the cosmos. And I think the reason that um, Lovecraft's work still survives today is that he really tapped into uh, fears that we all have about, I guess, uh, where humanity's place is, uh, whether we're special, um, whether we matter, whether we will matter after we're gone. And yeah, as Charles said, he wasn't afraid of uh, having his friends work in his universe and in turn having you know, working in his friends' universes that they'd created. So he was very much into uh, spreading his ideas around, and I think that has helped his uh, vision and his voice to survive. Yeah, his, his work is really fearless. The only thing Lovecraft was afraid of was people who weren't white. <laughs> so he really terrified of green or blue people? Mostly brown, I think. <laughs> yeah. Young Lovecraft. And old Lovecraft, all Lovecraft. It was well, the era. Lovecraft is more of a, I hate people in general. I don't hate <laughs> you so much anymore because you're brown. I just hate you because you're a person. <laughs> no, he, that's not true. He, he just really hated everybody. Oh, he did, but it's lesser as he's an old fart compared I, I to dis- when he was a young fart. I disagree. <laughs> I mean, he, he softened slightly near the end of his life, but... I don't know. I, I I can't excuse Lovecraft's racism. I think he was there's, like there's slightly no, less of a Nazi sympathizer it, the older more... he got. He was a product of his time. Let's face it. No, he really no. wasn't. He wasn't. No, no, he, no was he was not a product of like, his time at all. He was an exceptional racist for his time. Oh, oh, oh okay. Kind of like um Frank um L Frank Baum, correct? Um, I no, never heard as much. anything Eric, about him being well, racist. Maybe look, he could be. I. Don't know articles. anything about him. Look up his articles on Native Americans. End of end of uh, end of segue from main topic. 
I'll take your word for it, though. (laughs) I I believe it. The one thing I would like to throw before Charles and uh, and Sean, which I'm really interested in hearing their opinion, did you guys see some Lovecraftian influence in the film Prometheus? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's straight up at the Mountains of Madness. Um, but then again, Aliens, Alien, the first one, Ridley Scott's Alien, was more or less at the Mountains of Madness as well. This is just maybe a more faithful adaptation. Yeah, I mean, it's so much at the Mountains of Madness, it killed the actual Mountains of Madness movie, so. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's still not as good as at the Mountains of Madness. It's a pale imitation, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. I'm Look not a fan of what? Prometheus that much. There are things I do like about it, you know that I'm interested in, but it was a real letdown. I felt Um, like it wasn't great for an alien film. Like, as a film on its own, I didn't mind it, but standing in the alien um, mythos, I wasn't crazy about it. There's just so much of it that's just boring. Like, don't explain things. Yeah, you could have cut a half hour of that movie easily. Don't explain everything. Please don't explain these things to me. I don't want to know where the aliens came from. I don't want to know about the space jockeys. I don't want to know. That was anything. the big one for me was the space jockey because I remember seeing that, you know, in the first film, that big whatever it was, and there was a crack in the chest. You're like, oh, that's so cool. And then when they just explained it away as giant white people, kind of took <laughs> yeah. well, some well, of the well, thrill out of it. What got me with that was that you had that great, eager design for it. Yeah, yeah. And they turn it into a helmet, and when they pull it up, I mean, if yeah. Eager is just the opening act, you better have something cool to follow it. It's a ball-headed guy, yeah. It's just That's a it. giant yeah. bald guy, yeah. Uh, one yeah, of my favorite designs in that movie were stunningly bad, like the penis-vagina snakes. Oh, and that, on, really, that was a little sexy, right? That really stupid biologist, too, was just touching it. <laughs> they clearly <laughs> missed the point that, okay, why is... Why did you cast Idris Elba and then he's just this and side character nothing. who's barely yeah. in the movie? He's, he's the best actor in the, in the movie and yeah, he gets him like five minutes of screen time. And why in the name of the gods did the android David infect that one guy with the black goop? They wanted it, to it see what happened an alien. So clearly something like it has to happen in this one too, right? Uh, right? I, it's a, a, the best explanation I've heard for that so far because the movie didn't give us one. Was David just sadistic? <laughs> well, I, I read that scene. an answer that never delivered. And yeah. That frustrated me. Well, for that scene, I read it as David essentially, you know, he, for most of the experience, he's just been kind of sitting on the, the ship watching movies. He's more or less, he presents as a man, but he's a curious little boy. He wanted to know what would happen. Yeah, yeah all right. But the, I mean, yeah, the movie should have explained that then. Yeah, yeah probably. Like, I, I'm a defender of Prometheus. I liked it a lot, but I know it's a very hard film to defend because every character makes really, really dumb decisions all the time. I just can't so, get over the running from the ship for like a mile straight. We've had this Instead discussion of left, a billion I know we've times, had this discussion Sean. already, but you run to the left or the right. If you see no, the shadow not, coming at you, you not just, if you're panicking. My favorite. You don't run a full mile straight. Frustrated, my dad was by that point when we were seeing it in theaters, and he just leaned over to me and whispered, "Daffy Duck." (laughs) (laughs) That's despicable. Sorry, but anyway, um, is that you know you gotta love 
weird technology that's activated by playing a flute. That was interesting. That was cool. <laughs> I have no defense yeah. for that. That is silly. I, I like that. It was unique. And that creature that came out of the, the doctor, I mean, that she was impregnated with, that was uh, a couple of cans of awesome sauce, you must admit. Oh, <laughs> that yeah, was the pretty cool. first was generation fake xenomorph was actually cool looking. Then it yeah. became a not xenomorph in its next life, and that was okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll see where it goes that- when the next one comes. I like the speculations Dark Horse Comics is doing with Prometheus too about you know you, you wonder how much of that is going to be contradicted when the when the next two Prometheus movies come Probably out. Probably all of it. <laughs> yeah, judging by I mean Dark they're Wars already throwing out the entire comics? Alien franchise for the next Alien movie. Thank God. So well, the, the next next Alien movie because uh, oh, Ridley Scott yeah, what's Prometheus the order? Because they're going to have first. yeah then Blowcast. Who even knows? The next real alien movie instead of the retitled Prometheus movie. Yeah, yeah, Blowcamp's uh, attempt at it. That that bums me out. I like Alien 3 for all its flaws. Uh, Resurrection, I didn't like, but I don't... I liked Resurrection, but it was stupid. It was a stupid action movie. But I also Alien three has some good baby points, with the bathwater on but it, it, I, I'm I, honestly I, happy to throw it out and get something better. Yes, because Alien 3, I'm sorry, I think it was disrespectful to some of the characters. You know which characters I'm talking about, Hicks. Oh, and of you. course. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that was not, and even Bishop, that was not good to see. I know why it was made. Basi- basically, it was made for reasons of financial cheapness, and yeah. it, it was just disrespectful, that type of expediency. I did and, like that it took place on a um, a prison planet where everybody shaves their heads. That was interesting. And Charles but that was, was that was all I took from it, though. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and I mean, it, it, they should not have done that movie on the cheap. Okay, it should have been all it was originally intended to be, in my opinion. Well, yeah, the whole original. they going to have it be a giant, yeah, like a wooden planet? Yeah, it was supposed to be the aliens reaching Earth, according to to original script done too. Something we still haven't seen. At least we haven't seen the xenomorphs on Earth yet. Well, well yeah, we didn't. Well. Versus Predator, Predator versus Alien Part Two. Yeah. Well, they, do we oh. count that as the canon, though? <laughs> you know, I, I take back my previous comment, but I disagree with throwing out the baby with the backwater bathwater. We can throw out <laughs> Alien versus Predator. Uh, I definitely want to throw out AVP too. Let's just get rid of them. The first one was a bit Mountains of Madness. You know. <laughs> uh, the first one. The second one. You can't, you can't see uh, what happens in the second one. Yeah, it's so dark. I think they had good ideas that could have been better. Same, but they same could have hired a cinematographer for the second one, you know, <laughs> so someone would actually light it, or some day for night shooting, or you know, something, something so you could actually see what's going on. I like the second one better than the first one. Like the first oh, one boo. turned me off, but the second one, it's so dumb. It's on like the crank two curve of bad movies where it start gets so bad that starts being amazing. Oh, like I don't when, think so, man. When, when the alien starts like putting the pred alien starts putting the embryos down the pregnant lady's throat, I just cracked up laughing in the theater. It was the best day of my life. <laughs> really, was that it? Yeah, like that. Uh, meeting my girlfriend, getting our cat, and then the release of Crank Two. So that's the top four. All right, all right. Well, at least we got that down. <laughs> Speaking of alien, you know, get, 
with getting those cats, that was really keeping up with the Joneses, huh? <laughs> I, got I, see what was done. I see what was happening. Well, Prometheus 3, oh. by the way, is supposed to be a, a true prequel to the original Alien, so we'll have to see. Please, no. <laughs> I'm the wrong guy to beg. I'm not in charge of the project. Please, no, Chris. Please, no. All right, I'll, I'll, you can vent on me for what the dude is doing. His name is Satan, so I'll call him Dude. Moving past that, so this will probably take up more of the bulk of our discussion now that we're past the horror. We got over the alien. Yeah, we got over the Prometheus home. So (laughs) So this is the crossover show, and we are talking about Lovecraft. So what are your favorite crossover stories that feature the Cthulhu mythos? God, there's so many, right? Feel free to make a list. Feel free to talk forever. Uh, the one that pops into my head uh, is the first Hellboy film and also the Hellboy comics. Um, I liked what they did with, while maybe not explicitly using Lovecraftian characters, it definitely had that vibe going on, especially in the first film and in the earlier comics. Yeah, in, in the uh, first comic, I think they explicitly quote uh, De Vermis Mysterious, which, how uh, was that, Clark Ashton Smith, his book that Lovecraft referenced several times. So I think that's not entirely sure. But yeah, I think so. That's close. But it was... I loved it. Roch's book, I think. My all-time fave crossover in the comics has to be when Carl Kolchak ran afoul of the Deep Ones. Oh. (laughs) Night Stalker Kolchak? Yeah. I'll have to look that one up. I've never read that. Oh, it's... it's, For fans of the Deep Ones, it is a must-read. Yeah, all of the Kolchak comics are fun. Just beware that for some inexplicable reason, he's in the present. He still dresses oh. like it's the 70s. He still acts like it's the 70s. He's still drawn to look like who he should be. But he's in the present. Because uh, reasons. Just try to ignore references to, you know, the internet and computers, home computers, that is. And, and all of the returning cast dresses like it's the 70s. Yeah, ignore those references. It's more like classic Kolchak. Just ignore the fact that he's still typing on a typewriter. Yeah, he even still has a typewriter because he hates computers. <laughs> I always wondered how many of his articles actually got published. I feel like they had an editor just for him to they probably out anything on toward. So 10,000 word articles down to a couple paragraphs. Probably, yeah. Did he ever get any witnesses to the things he did, or was everyone other than him killed who ran into those creatures? That's what I, I think. Think. Often, most everyone was killed. Yeah. Yes. Except with the robot ring, because remember the cops shot him, so there were plenty of witnesses for that one. But the others, he had witnesses after both movies. <laughs> well, that's good at least. So he's getting two articles published. Yeah. <laughs> there was there was a show in the nineties, Tangent. Um, that I forgot about until just now talking about uh, Kolchak. It was almost similar. It was almost like this is the weekly world news and we're sending our reporters on to do shit and just finding like weird Bigfoot shit and publishing them. Does anyone remember this show or am I having a fever dream? I don't. Is that the one where one of the reporters was a pig man midget? That's not and ringing no bells? no one called attention to this fact, and they just but, accepted it? 
That's entirely possible. I really hope this is a show. I would watch the hell out of it. But <laughs> yes, great. One yeah. of the episodes was a sequel to Big Trouble in Little China, and they got, I can't remember what? the actor's name in, to play crippled Lopan. Yeah. Nice. This actually happened. Uh, wow. Got some Googling to do after this. Yeah. Big man that you mentioned. Did you ask his name? I have no idea. I no, want to say that they just referred to him as Pigman. Well, we probably that shouldn't didn't sound ho- right. Probably shouldn't hog the rest of the conversation with that topic. Oh, oh boy! Oh, boy. <laughs> Joy kill. Drop it. <laughs> um, to to go into um the, the before I got us off uh our fucking subject here. Uh, one, one of my favorite appearances of Lovecraft himself in a work of fiction was uh, Warren Ellis's Planetary, um, specifically when they crossed over with uh, the authority from Wildstorm. Um, it's, a, it's a story where it basically um, uh, something snow. It's been a long time since I've said since I've John read Planetary. Snow, Not John Snow, unfortunately. Uh, Elias Snow. Um, yeah, goes it. to Lovecraft to ask about some eggs that he found, and in in typical Warren Ellis didn't pull any punches. Um, no. In in typical Lovecraft fact fashion, he did not understand how black people reproduced and thought it was um, their eggs. I'm not going to use the terms that he used in the comic, but I wouldn't. Turned out to be um, deep no, one it's eggs. Perfectly and, acceptable. He just said Negro eggs. He did. But I'm not going to say it because I feel very uncomfortable with racial subjects. But yeah, they well, turned out course, to be. Of course, because we're on a Lovecraft. Podcast. Oh yeah, but um, yeah, it turned out to be deep ones, and there was you know the fun at the end of the issue comic book battle oh, against the deep ones. I think Lovecraft only was in like five panels, maybe, but I, I did appreciate that because you know I fucking I have such a boner for Warren Ellis. He's one of the greatest comic writers. Oh, he really is, and he's a swell human being to hear too. He sounds like he'd rip off your head and shit down your neck, but he's an interesting fellow. <laughs> I almost got a man crush on him too now. <laughs> as you should he's a large man like you see pictures of him you're like holy shit and he's that angry good god oh, I, <laughs> I did love planetary very much I must say oh yeah yes by the way Lovecraft also did appear in uh, Afterlife with Archie is that right did he? that is right there's a there's a whole Lovecraft themed issue with Sabrina the rest of the gang is not there, and uh, it sets up a new storyline. But yeah, she's Sabrina sacrificed because Thulu at the end. And, oh, I remember. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing. For, uh, I remember seeing pages from that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's actually uh, it's a yeah, it's a fun written book. If somebody had told me just you know three years ago that the only regular comic series you're going to be buying will be Archie comics. Be Archie, oh, yeah. No, yeah, no way. But uh, Afterlife, the Sabrina the Teenage Witch book is uh, enjoyable. And uh, this new uh, Adam Hughes, Betty and Veronica, at least is pretty to look at, uh, the way he does girls. And so, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm uh, Archie, <laughs> regular like buyer. The horror, as much as I don't care for the bulk of the horror Sabrina book, it it's, backup, uh-huh. it's one page backup features one of my all time favorite crossover stories with Hellboy, oh, with Hellboy. coming over oh. to little Sabrina. Just for and the record, uh, play Legos with him. That's we're talking about oh, yeah. one of my top ten. 
even though it's a one-page throwaway. We're talking about Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And she's watching, or Suspiris playing on TV when Hellboy shows up, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. That cool is pretty thing. cool. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think it actually appears in Sabrina, does it? Doesn't it appear in a, in a different book? That one uh, page, that, it's, it's, it struck me kind of odd. That actually might be a different was... book. I can't remember. That might actually have been in a different yeah. book. Yeah. Uh, but it's worth seeking out. It is pretty cute, yeah. Okay, the show I'm thinking of with David Lopan was The Chronicle. Which Maybe is that's it. Which is on Weekly Roll News, and one of them's a pig man. I, I think that's okay. probably the show. Great. His, his name, good? the only thing he was called on the show was Pig Boy. Pig Boy. <laughs> He's not a man yet. Not yet. Guys, guys, he has to wait for his bar mitzvah. Wasn't there a young adult book called The Pig Man we used to have to read back in, like, grammar school and stuff? And well, I didn't have to, but I didn't go to grammar school. Okay, so. I'll consider you guys lucky then and move on. <laughs> well, I'll look it up tell now. us about The Pig Man. Give us a yeah, one-sentence summary of this book. I'm not going to get off this. There were these, these two high school kids that befriended this man that was infatuated with little statuettes of pigs. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know. What kind of school did you he go wasn't, to? He wasn't part pig, this man. He wasn't, like, mixed with a pig. Well, he just collected pig statues, and thus he earned the very original nickname of the pig man. Okay. This is a weird tale, isn't it? <laughs> well, pigs do have really weird curly tails, yes. But what we're talking about here is, um, it's, uh... Did they come alive? No, what they... What was the point of the story? They just sat on his shelf and did nothing. Uh, the, 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 the basic... children or the pig statues? <laughs> oh, the pig statues. And the basic point was, just because someone is weird and eccentric doesn't mean he can't still be a good guy. And, and you must admit, that's a great lesson. It's a good moral. Yeah. A good moral. I mean, you know, not like you guys who probably leave you know the toilet seat up and everything. This guy was really nice. He put it down. He <laughs> said, "Look, here's my little pig statue, but yeah. put that toilet seat down." After he invited these children into his After home, he invited these small children to his home, but nothing yeah. nefarious happened. So that's the, another the seat one. Seat was down though. <laughs> well, that, that this that was like written in the seventies, guys, before all the the hysteria started, and uh, you know, not only that. You know, I'm sure he put the toilet seat back up again when his guests probably, you know, peed all over the seat. But anyway, um... Why would uh, you put it up after someone pees on the seat? Then it's just getting everywhere. No, no, I I guess the real moral is, like, you know, you're going to have to do a little cleanup with some friends. Yeah, yeah, I meant after he cleaned the seat. I'm sorry I didn't make that specific detail. I just thought it would be assumed. (laughs) Yes, okay, I'll, I'll add that. Yeah, that's why he started putting the seat up again. After he made sure he cleaned off the pee off first. Is that better? Yeah, Where did you yeah, go to so. school? <laughs> I went to, uh, the, the, I'm not proud of the school. It's Big Man Academy, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, I did. That's one of the ones I had to read right, right alongside great stuff like The Outsiders. That was great, but for every was outsider, Pig Boy, one of your schoolmates. No, the the the, 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 the I don't know what this, the Pig Man. Okay. For every, like I said, for every Outsiders we had to read, we had to put up with the pig man. You know, something like that. So, yeah, it was school. I mean, you're trying to figure out the logic of teachers and what they think is good and what isn't. No, that's what we're here. We're here to tell people what's good to read and everything. 
Which is why we're promoting The Great Gatsby. So, how many stars... No, I'm sorry, forgive me. How many (laughs) snouts out of ten do you give the Pigman? (laughs) Dude, I I wouldn't give it so much as a moon, let alone a a single star, but... uh... Snout. So, how does the story end? What happens next? Well, um, uh... I must say they left that part out of the out of the version I read, but um, at, anyway, um, in the That's abridged the Zack version, Snyder version. <laughs> in, in in the version I read, he um died at the end, and they were sad, you know, and they realized, you know, after someone's dead is when you really start appreciating it, them, you know. Well, and, what happened to the pig things? The little pig stuff? Did they like split it up evenly? I have to confess. Did they that, all just come alive and leave? <laughs> Guys, I have to. We gotta have a ham hock and a. You know. I mean, don't be surprised <laughs> hearing this, but I really didn't. Pay, I didn't read the whole book like I was supposed to, and I really didn't pay uh-huh. that much attention to it when we were talking. So about you're it. just leaving us all hanging on this. <laughs> so you don't know what actually happened, dudes. I hated the freaking book. I gotta be honest. I, 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 <laughs> it was one of those books you had to read. It wasn't. Uh, a you heard it here first. Uh, not a big fan of that Pigman story. No, so. I'm not a big fan of the Pigman. I don't want to get... recommend the Pigman story. Uh, I mean, if, if if any if anyone in high school right now, any of our listeners currently have to read that book and they don't do the assignment, uh, I sympathize with them. That's all I can say. See, I was much more a fan of when they did the story with Karnaki and there was a giant pig god controlling the pigman. I think that was a much stronger version of the story. And, and James, didn't the demon in, in um, the Amityville horror movie appear as a pig too? Am I remembering correctly? Maybe. Maybe. I couldn't swear there was that one scene where um, someone standing outside the house looks up and there's a brief scene of the pig, of a demonic pig looking out at them as the I, I think I know the scene you're talking about, and it happens really fast, right? You only get a flash of it. Yeah, I mean, they didn't want us to see how bad the prop was, obviously. Well, but probably, yeah. yes, but it, it lends itself to some suspense. It's like the, so the shark So you're saying itself. that the medieval horror was caused by one of the pig man's pig statues ending up in the house. To life. Hey, that That's dude, what happened. That was a bad-ass demon, man. I mean, it, it really cooked those people's bacon. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, oh, that, that, all right, okay. But anyway, <laughs> guys, but anyway, um, I'm trying at least, okay. But anyway, yeah, so I, I mean, I, I'll admit this too. I didn't really care what happened at the end of that novel. I'm sorry. I didn't care. I don't enough. blame you. I don't blame you. Chris, so I, Chris, you're, you're starting to become a bit of a bore. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Say mine are bad. Oh, boy. I'm encouraging badness. I'm a horrible role model for you, Mike. Sorry. But, and the rest of you, let alone all our listeners. So, moving on past the pigmen, which we've been discussing for at least two <laughs> for eternities an hour. now. Just getting back on topic, I saw you guys recently had an episode about the very Lovecraftian episode of Scooby-Doo Mystery. We did, yes. Oh, what did you guys think of it? I loved, I loved it. it, but I had been watching that whole first season on Netflix, so of course I loved it. I mean, I, I did have complaints. Um, you know, you did, it, but it, I, you know, what my mistake was that I told you you can just watch this episode, and I forgot that there's like an overarching plot line in that Scooby Doo. Oh, that's fine. That wasn't my complaint. My complaint is that um, the Lovecraft analog in this HP Hatecraft, as played by the great Jeffrey Combs, they committed the cardinal sin of any adaptation that tries to 
bring Lovecraft himself into their world in that they made Lovecraft a true believer. No, no, no. That, you keep saying this. He didn't actually believe any of it. He claimed that so he could sell his books. What the? Okay. okay he's a maybe, liar. He admits at one point, he's like, I don't believe any of this stuff. I just do it so I can sell the books. You're right. No, I, I mean, if you're annoyed by that, just wait until his reappearance in the next season where he is trying to write. Oh, that's right. Romance he's trying to do a young adult with book. Stephanie Meyer. Yeah, so we're going to do a little sweet urban guard on that. There really wasn't a Necronomicon? That hasn't been proven <laughs> or disproven. Ah, okay, because, you know, I remember how I felt when I was told Santa Claus wasn't real. You know, don't do it to me again, guys, please. <laughs> what, no, what, what, what's that? I didn't what's know what that Did he say stomach okay. balls? I didn't hear what he said. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's okay. No great loss, I assure you. Ah, okay. All right. No, Sean, you're right. I'm mixing that up with um, we next episode. We two episodes later. That's not even out yet. We covered uh, the film Necronomicon, which oh, again stars yes, Jeffrey Combs. He definitely believes in it. But to be fair, in that universe, it's real. It's, yeah, in that it, universe, it's explicitly it's dumb. real. Dumb. And I just, I just can't get behind the idea. And again, clearing Mystery Incorporated of all wrongdoings. They, they were fine. The, the idea of the fictional version of Lovecraft being a true believer in his own mythos, that it's all real and he's trying to transcribe it to the masses, that really does disservice to, you know, Lovecraft's actual character in that he was a, you know, a hard atheist, hard skeptic, true Very anxious, tall man, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I that's don't know. just my weird opinion on I'm not things. sure how I feel about it, but there's definitely a Supernatural episode where Lovecraft is in the beginning. Isn't it interesting, guys, how Lovecraft himself has been depicted in fictional form? Like, wasn't he a, a, a detective investigating the paranormal in one incarnation? And Oh, yeah, <laughs> cast a deadly spell on HBO. Yeah. And and you know a question I definitely like to throw before you two guys? Did you guys ever see some of um, the movies that were based on my fit, my favorite, my all-time fave uh, Lovecraft story, The Color Out of Space, gave me more than my share of nightmares when I read it. The first was Die, Monster, Die. It was made in the 60s. And the second oh, one... Oh, great movie. Great title. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the second one was The Curse. I remember it had... um Who's the guy who played Wesley in Star Trek The Next Generation? Will, Will Wheat. Yes. The Curse was also heavily based, even more so than Die, Monster, Die, on The Color Out of Space. See, I, I, I love the co- I love Die Monster Die. I got that one on Blu-ray. I, I never saw the Curse, but the best film adaptation of the Color Out of Space is a German flick. Uh, I'm probably going to mangle the pronunciation on this. Uh, De Fabre, which was a, a a black and white German adaptation that is very true to the story. Um, I picked that up. Not to be confused with De Favre, which is about that football player. Oh, it's black and white. That's a the black and white is a clever way to dodge having to visualize a color. That nobody well, that, that's can the, see. Yeah, I give them applause for that. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. They, but they also kind of screwed that up because when they had to depict the color, it was just purple in this black and white film. That was the only color was it was purple. Oh, so it's purple. No. That's oh, the color. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's fucking see, great nonetheless. So it's just the purple out of space. <laughs> yeah, Prince was executive producer. First of all, guys, make sure to 
to get the curse with um, Will Wheaton. And and secondly, did any of you guys see the Call of Cthulhu movie that was made like in the in the same way a 1920s silent film would be made? Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. oh yeah, I've yeah. seen that. I love that one. I put that out, and it's fantastic. Um, they did another one for uh, Whisper in the Darkness a couple years later that was done in the style of a 1950s sci-fi movie. That's also quite good. I still haven't seen Whisper in Darkness, but I want to. Uh, it's pretty good. It really takes a dive in the last Oh, with the airplane battle? Yeah, that bummed me out. Yeah. It took a dive. But it has some great uh, visuals. Uh, that high priest is you know, out to get up and the thing he's standing on, that you know, whatever, that gate. And uh, I just wonder, wish they'd done the Mego stop motion uh, <laughs> as they, oh, yeah. as they did Cthulhu. Better. They did Cthulhu that way in the in the Call of Cthulhu because their whole conceit was, you know, this is how you would have made a movie in 1925. Right. Uh, where oh, there's no right. computers. Yeah. And I, but for some reason, they changed that uh, for, um, you know, The Whisper in Darkness, which is one of my favorites. I'm a big Mego fan. And, um, you know, I, that's the best way they've been done yet, I guess. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I agree with James. The last part of the movie's movie, is, you know, I, it suddenly becomes more of a formulaic kind of film or something. And yeah. uh, there's cool stuff in it. But when they, you know, they they took a risk and they started departing from the source material. The You know, the Call of Cthulhu was straight, you know, yeah, right I'm not even sure. with it possess them to try and put any of that in the story, especially when it would be cheaper and more effective just to film it as written. I Yeah, I agree. It, it I, I guess my, my perception of that film was colored by how much I liked the first part of the movie, that I had completely forgotten how it kind of tanks at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does have some good stuff in it, but you know, if you were to film it straight, it would be, you know, two guys sitting in a room talking most of it. You know, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. makes that what makes that story cool is all those liturgies of the you know cults of Lemur Cthulhus and the men of the Alisan and you know all those cool things. It's a very uh, you know a very kind of non-filmable story, but the setup's great in, in the original. You know that guy starts catching those aliens on his wax cylinders or whatever he's recording and. Uh, <laughs> I have, a, I have a friend who, who was in New England when he was a kid, and he said that story scared him to death. Apparently, he was around a lot of woods in New England, and he got to him, yeah. Well, they can get to you. Yeah, they're pretty creepy around here. Which, you know, <laughs> speaking of movies, what do you guys think of the reanimator films? Did did they, with um, Jeffrey Combs, did they do Lovecraft Proud? No, but they're amazing. I love it, but I think he would have hated them because it's like, oh, it's just a bunch of women naked for no reason. I mean, I love that, but I don't. Sean, you could have stopped at there are a bunch of women. There are a bunch of women. He would have just hated that alone. Yeah. But no, I love the movies so much. Even the really shitty Beyond Reanimator, even that has a place in my heart. But they they are the furthest thing from a faithful adaptation of H.P. Well, Lovecraft. It's in the spirit of the story, where the story is one of his pulpier stories. True, um, true. So I think it's tapping into that vein of being uh, pulpier, but it's also Stuart Gordon, and it's in the eighties, and they got to put you know asses in seats. So yeah, uh, get some nudity. I prefer his uh, adaptation of From Beyond. Uh, that I liked the, the From Beyond was great. 
I think I do, of the two of them, I do think I like From Beyond better. I really liked um, the film he did for the Masters of Horror television show as well. Uh, The adaptation of Dreams in the Witch House was great. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I think that's one of the better adaptations. Have you, speaking of that, did you guys ever see the Dunwich Horror movie adaptation from the late, it would be like 1969, 1970. Oh, I saw it. Oh, yes. Just got it on Blu-ray several months ago. Same here. Sort of like how they depicted the one brother that was not human, considering the limitations of special effects at the time, just a blast of uh, psychedelic colors, perfect for the 60s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really wanted to I, see the monster. Like, what were you going to say, Micah? I like uh, when you see Yark Sothoff a bit. He almost looks like Ghidorah from the Godzilla movies <laughs> with a few more heads. But I love that set, that ancient ruin on the coast of New England. It's like, holy cow, this thing's like a knockdown, you know, pyramid or something <laughs> from an ancient race. And there's no, people can just walk up to it, walk on it, you know, it's too graffiti. But you think they're a bunch of beer cans and cigarette butts, you know, <laughs> where the high school kids go up and hang out. And nobody's commenting on this thing. It's like, this is it's just normal. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, the period pyramid <laughs> yeah. we got over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All the kids are making out on it. Yeah. And thanks to uh, that, yeah. I, 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 that's the movie I learned, finally learned how to pronounce Necronomicon correctly. And I thought it was cool how the book was mentioned so prominently in that movie. Mm-hmm. Huh. Now, Sean, yeah. you went to an interesting screening oh, of yes. that so at Necronomicon. At Necronomicon 2015, I went with one Sylvia Moreno-Garcia to... Um, they the had a Dunwich live, Horror Picture Show. Yeah, the Dunwich Horror Picture Show where it was like they just showed the film, but they had um, a live band that was uh, sort of like an orchestra. Um, and they had people in the um, the balcony putting like throwing tentacles down and they'd be flashing like different colored lights when the um, effect, you know, when the psychedelic color effect happened. And it was just really cool. They incorporated all these like, people walking through the aisles and costume, and it was really rad. It really lent wow. itself to the film. That's neat. I think my favorite thing about that movie is the soundtrack, especially the score that plays over the opening credits, like the awesome animated opening credits. That that soundtrack sticks with me, man. I love it. Yeah, it's definitely a silly movie at times, especially with the thumb stuff, but... <laughs> it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I keep hoping. When are we going to get um, a, mo- a movie version of A Shadow Over Innsmouth? I want to see the, the deep ones brought into live action. There is yeah, one. There was. There was. There have been multiple. Oh, yeah. uh, Stuart Gordon did a movie. Uh, yeah, Stuart Gordon, uh, director of Reanimator from Beyond, we were talking about a minute ago. He did a flick in 2001 called Dagon, which, despite the name, is a pretty straight adaptation of The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Is yeah. that the one that takes place in Spain? Yes. yes. He relocated. Okay. They re- they relocated, but uh, I don't think it, I don't know if it ever made it to DVD. But the uh, some fans basically did a straight out. I've got the video cassette, uh, a movie called uh, Return to Intimate. And though it sounds like a sequel, it's straight out, and it takes place in the twenties in New England. And uh, the comic book great Richard Corbin does some computer animation for it. Uh, you see, you see his deep one standing out in the water, and then Dagon pops up at the end. 
Uh, that one is definitely, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, the, you know, the G-Man show up, you know, to, <laughs> to take them out and all that stuff. And it's a really neat, you know, like I said, it sounds like a sequel, but it's really these guys, you know, and it was one of the more in the vein of, uh, you know, the guys who did Call of Cthulhu. And, uh, but, you know, with less money, but it's black and white, it looks period, and it's, Fun seeing Richard Corbin, you know, mess around with, you know, CGI things. So you can find a copy of that. I recommend it. It's, it's pretty entertaining. Yeah, yeah, that that topic of Innsmouth, do you know what really infuriates me? And I hate that this is becoming a whole trend. I hate the trend in sequels and continuations and new takes on the mythos where they desperately try to make the deep ones into some commentary on what we did to the Japanese Americans during the oh, war. Oh, I'm thinking of, yeah, Providence, just, the Alan Moore comic. He definitely I mean, has I can think of there. like 10 different things that are doing it now, and that annoys me so much because it's like they're not thinking of the fact that they're literally saying, hey, the Japanese were monsters who wanted to end all of human society. You're not being <laughs> clever. You're not doing some clever thing with race. You're just making things worse stop to be be fair though that i think lovecraft would have really appreciated that he would have dug that but Uh, but yeah that is pretty fucking no i'm with you yeah the whole point of that story is that it's things from the sea it's not supposed to be a certain race and while lovecraft had his racist uh sensibilities uh i think the reason people like that story is because it's creepy to picture fish people Coming onto the land. That's it. I always saw it as an allegory, I guess, you know, for people, what they'd be willing to trade for power. Right, yeah. And that angle was heavily played up, by the way, in the Kolchak Deep Ones crossover, heavily. A lot of those people became Dagon worshippers. You know, because they wanted the power, you know, that, that came with becoming Deep Ones and the longevity, et cetera. So they're like, you know, goodbye, humanity. We don't need you. Well, it's interesting. There are lots of things you can do if you want to do a commentary on race in Lovecraftian fiction. Just for the love of God, don't try and make the deep ones into an allegory for the Japanese Americans. Yeah, it it could be argued That's as racist as Lovecraft's best. Maybe it's the Godzilla connection, you know, that uh, they're playing off of there. Well, I get, you know, the, and the, the spawning awkward silence, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, you know, I find it difficult, I find it very, one thing I find very difficult about making Lovecraft stories into, um, movies is that there was very, it were off, they were often told like from a, from a, a first person point of view from one of the characters and, you know, it's, it, it was from that person's perspective. And I guess you'd have to sort of change the perspective to third person unless you just wanted to hear a monologue, you know, voiceover monologue. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest issues with adapting his work into film is that if you actually go through a lot of those stories, not a heck of a lot happens in some of them. A lot of it is just inside a character's head, and he's like, oh, and I, I saw a shadow, and, you know, then a couple more days went by, and I wrote a letter, <laughs> and I got some milk, and I, I sat, and I went and wrote another letter. And it's like nothing, if you actually straight adapted it, it's like, uh, holy shit, guys, nothing fucking happens in this. Case Every point, single adaption yeah. would be the room. Yeah. <laughs> An example, how in the hell would you... Would you adapt Narlathotep, for example? 
I really don't know. The sad thing is that one would be one of the least terrible to adapt. At least you have a science show and a collapse of society. (laughs) It wasn't even clear who Narlapitep was. It was like a a big conceptualization, you know, or conceptualizing, you know, what about how mysterious he was. Am I I making sense with this? But no, they weren't really. It wasn't. It works as a story because you're you're not entirely sure, you know, who he is, what he is. But translating that into film, you have to. It's it's a visual medium, so you'd have to think about okay, how could we do this where we'd adapt it, but it's not straight from the page. Or if it is from the page, we have to incorporate some of our own ideas in here because we have to translate into a visual medium. Yeah, there's really not many of his stories you can easily just go and put directly into film. And I think that's there's what the Houdini a, story. Yeah. There's Shadow over Innsmouth, a couple others, but yeah. And that's, that's ultimately the problem with the adaptations is it kind of falls on the creator of the film or uh, the comic or what have you, the television show, to infuse their own ideas in there. And if they don't come up with good ideas, then the adaptation doesn't work. So it has to be a mingling of Lovecraft's ideas and his works with uh, creators' ideas and works. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. And, and the, it's always comes down to what do these stories, what do, what do, what, how do these stories resonate with the creator? You know, what what what, what yeah. the guy do in the film? How did he perceive and interpret this and that? What does he compare it to, etc.? You know, kind of like the problem he mentioned with the, uh, you know, the Japanese thing. You know, right? That's. <laughs> So you know, you could interpret a lot of his stories in, in as any number of in any number of allegorical fashions. I think, right? Mm-hmm. You know, well, I, and I, they are—they're very heavily atmosphered too, and that's a little tough, I think, in a film, especially nowadays, where you want the pacing to be a little bit faster. Yeah. Like, well, how do you, you know, how do you do uh, *Haunter of the Dark*? Say. Yeah, and, and Lovecraft doesn't do us any favors, or not us, but filmmakers any favors by having most of his monsters being formless, shapeless, indescribable horrors. Which he then describes, of course. But not all that well. Not well enough to, you know, draw a picture of. I mean, obviously, you know, the people who do the Call of Cthulhu RPG, for example, have made monster manuals of a sort, but... A lot, a lot of his stuff is so vague that you just kind of have to make assumptions if you want to make it into a latex and rubber or CGI monster. Right. And yeah. yeah. And you know, nowadays people are so fascinated with gore; they expect that in horror films. But Lovecraft did not try to gross us out; he tried to creep us out, and and did a good job of it. You know. And yeah. I, I, I Absolutely. Don't it, yeah. I mean, he he doesn't make you sick to your stomach; he makes you have nightmares. <laughs> you know, and could you convey that, you know, without giving to the temptation to throw in all this gratuitous gore? I almost feel like to do a good Lovecraftian adaptation, you almost have to get into the realm of uh, an art film, which obviously that's not going to be that commercial. So you kind of have to split the difference and throw in some kind of artsy fartsy crap, like just some psychedelic imagery or visuals but i don't yeah it's tough i don't know how you would do it i don't envy anybody who would attempt it and on that note we're going to draw to a close so let our listeners know where they can find you where they can listen to you and then we'll cut to a break all right 
Well, then, if you uh, want to track us down, our general hub on the internet is miskatonicmusings.com. Uh, from there, you can get to our iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, Google Play Music, blah, 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 blah. And uh, give us a listen. We got some good episodes, maybe. If you <laughs> like us here, the then uh, our incoherent ramblings may appeal to you. All right. Yay. And you can find me at SpookySean.com, and I have a chapbook coming out from McMahon Beast Books called Too Late Within the Month. Excellent. And listeners, we'll be right back after this. All there is, there isn't any more. Join us next week when we talk to Eric S. Brown. Before we end, I want to thank our sponsor, Shagas Old Peculiar. Why only get drunk in three dimensions? And then quickly, I should explain that M.H. Norris was away this week because she was with Dr. Rosella Tassani in the burned-out wrecks of Innsmouth. A special thanks to Robert E. Ronsky Jr. for starting us on this journey, as well as Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme, Leap on a Stream. Thanks to all listening. You make this possible. Remember to subscribe and rate our show on iTunes. It makes all the difference. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Good night.